Change is gonna come. See that you actually are a leader. I was with Nike for a very long time and built my career in retail. You know, I think uh, this podcast just got its first exclusive. Being an entrepreneur is hard. The highs are really high and then the lows are really low. That I'm actually really interested in hearing more about. Building more and more books of business. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it's like transitioning verticals? Being open to opportunity. How do I learn something different in a different industry? And they feel like, okay, like, if not now, then when? Hi, everybody. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on today's live podcast. Uh, it's the Motivated C19 series, and we're going to feature some thought leaders, industry experts, where we discuss what they're working on, some of the strategies they've deployed during this time, how they've shifted this mindset, and more importantly, how they're keeping themselves as well as people around them motivated. I'm here with my co-host, Pablo Henderson. Hello. And we have an amazing guest today. Pablo, would you like to introduce our guest? Yes, love to. Really excited to have uh, Davis Smith on with us today. Davis is the CEO of Cotopaxi, an outdoor gear brand and a benefit corporation with a social mission at its core. He's a serial e-commerce entrepreneur and angel investor where he spent the earlier part of his career building several businesses. Davis was named CEO of the year 2016 by Silicon Valley Community Foundation and is a member of the United Nations Foundation's Global Entrepreneurs Council. Davis decided to merge his love of travel with a poverty-fighting business model. Each customer's purchase gives to those living in the world's poorest regions. He named the company Cotopaxi to represent the spirit of adventure, optimism, and determination that he'd experienced during his time spent abroad and destroying really good books. Uh, thank you for joining us on this podcast today, Davis. Thank you, Paolo. What a, what a nice intro. I like that. <laughs> and hopefully, every time I said Cotopaxi, I said it the right way. Yeah, you know, there's so many different ways to say it. Uh, I probably actually change the way I say it at times. So uh, no matter how you say it, it's all right. It doesn't matter. Well, thank you. Kind of you. <laughs> there's a story behind it, right? Yeah, there is. Uh, you know, the, the name Cotopaxi is special to me. Uh, I grew up in Latin America and uh, Ecuador, where I spent part of my childhood and teenage years. Um, so I lived in, my family lived in Quito, uh, the capital city. And just on the outskirts of Quito is this beautiful snow-capped volcano, one of the highest active volcanoes in the world, and it's called Cotopaxi. And uh, I went to a school called Academia Cotopaxi, named after this volcano. And it was the place I used to go backpacking with my dad. I saw my, the first time I saw llamas in the wild was at, uh, at Cotopaxi at the base of this mountain. And so uh, I've always loved it. And, uh, you know, as I was looking to name uh, this idea that I had of building a brand that could inspire adventure and inspire people giving back, it was the name that came to my mind. And I, I've loved uh, being able to represent part of Ecuador that I love uh, through this brand and business. And that's a llama that's in the logo? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've, for some reason, I've always just loved llamas. I just think they're just a fascinating kind of funky animal. And, you know, they're, they're pretty hardcore. I mean, they live in like some of the most rugged terrains in the world, but they're, they're social animals. They don't like being by themselves. They are, you know, they go in packs and they uh, are kind, uh, but, but tough. And I just thought that was a very, uh, you know, a perfect mascot for our brand. How much does that say about you? Um, uh, is that your um, alter ego animal or? Yeah, 
It's my default spirit animal. That's it. There we go. <laughs> so something that I'm fascinated by that I'm, I just really learned about recently is that you guys are a benefit corporation. So you're a B Corp. And I wasn't as familiar with it, but I'd love for you to share what that is. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, uh, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, actually. So um, first of all, I'll, I'll say like, um, it's interesting to like look at the history of capitalism. And if you go back to 1820, so exactly 200 years ago, 94% um, of the world was living in extreme poverty, which is the equivalent of $1.90 a day in today's dollars. Um, when I was born in 1978, I'm 41, um, it was 40%. 40% of the world lived in extreme poverty. When I graduated from high school, it was 20%. And last year, it was less than 10%. So we are eradicating extreme poverty. And we can actually do that in our lifetimes. Uh, but to do that, I don't, I don't believe we can do this if we rely on uh, government and nonprofits alone. We need, the, we need the private sector. We need capitalism to change. Um, capitalism, in some ways, has been this amazing force that's pulled people out of poverty over the last 200 years. At the same time, it has been so destructive to our planet and it's left people behind in, uh, you know, under this, uh, this mission of, of maximizing shareholder value. We need to change that. And so you know, I think what this movement is of benefit corporations or B Corps is really this movement of saying maximizing our profits is not what matters most. Uh, we, can, we can have a new type of capitalism, a capitalism that cares about our planet, a capitalism that cares about people, and that puts those things first. And if we do that, then I believe that then it, that it can also be good for business. But um, that's something that uh, I think a lot about. I actually first heard about benefit corporations from some classmates of mine in business school, who we were talking about before this started, Dahlia, um, the founders of Warby Parker. Um, you know, we were classmates. They uh, had this beautiful vision for this brand they wanted to build that was giving back. And it was really inspiring to me. And um, you know, I, I loved uh, the fact that they were building that into their, you know, this do good mission into their, into their business and brand. And then they converted a few years into the business into a benefit corporation. And that's how I first heard about it. And so I knew when I was going to start my next business that I wanted to, to do something similar. Are there any other B Coal uh, companies that we should have on our radar that you think are um, particularly good? I mean, there are uh, there's a couple thousand, um, maybe even 3,000 now certified B Corps. And so they, to get certified, you go through this rigorous audit process. But, you know, some of my favorite brands that uh, focus on, on giving back and, and doing good uh, are brands like Bombas, the Sock Company, uh, based out of New York. Dave Heath, the founder, is just an amazing guy and has done an amazing job with that brand. They give a, a pair of socks uh, to the homeless every time they sell a pair of socks. Turns out that homeless, that's one of the things they need most because people will donate jackets and, and clothing and stuff, but no one's donating their old socks, of course. And so um, that's, that's a brand that, uh, that I'm really inspired by. You know, and I, Warby Parker, of course, uh, you know, I think one that, this is old school, but, but Tom's Shoes is actually a brand that really inspired me and the way, thought, the way they thought about giving back through business. And there, there were some unintended consequences in their giving strategy that they learned some tough lessons and they had to really pivot and change. But it's thanks to businesses like that that took those risks that allowed brands like ours to go learn those lessons and say, okay, they made some mistakes. Like they were giving shoes away to these communities and they were disrupting local markets where if you sold shoes in this, in this market, if you were a little entrepreneur in some, one of these cities, you were disrupted because everyone was getting free shoes, you know? So, um, 
it's allowed us to make better decisions. And, you know, my hope is, of course, that I know that at Cotopaxi, we're going to make some mistakes along the way. Um, but I, I, my hope is that these younger entrepreneurs, this next generation will look at us and say, wow, like Cotopaxi did some really interesting things. And I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it even better because I'm going to be able to learn from the mistakes that, that Cotopaxi made. But there are also like business benefits to being a B Corp, right? Um, there are benefits. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no like tax benefit or anything in being a benefit corporation. You don't get to, it's not like a nonprofit where you get to write things off or anything, but, but there are benefits and there are benefits of being part of a community of, of other businesses that are, are mission aligned that support each other. There's benefits of having a community of customers that say, hey, they see the B, you know, that B with a circle around it on your window and they say, hey, I, I know what that is. I want to go support a benefit corporation or a B Corp. Um, so there are, there are certainly benefits there. And then, you know, interestingly, Dolly, I think actually maybe the biggest benefit that we've had is our ability to attract and retain talent. Uh, it's, you know, we'll have a job posting and we'll have 500. We typically see hundreds of applicants per job opening. And it's not because we pay great. We, we're just, you know, we're a small business and um, we, we try to pay fairly, but there's, you could certainly go make more money somewhere else. Uh, but people, they're coming because they, they feel aligned. You know, it's, it's young people right out of school saying, I'm, I'm a millennial or a Gen Z and like, this is part of who I am. And it's baby boomers saying, I've worked my entire career and I've made enough. Like I really want to finish my career doing something that really matters. And so that's, what's been beautiful is really seeing that this is like cross-generational. It speaks to people no matter uh, where you come from or who you are. I think everyone has that inside of them of wanting to contribute towards something that's, that's bigger than them. You said something interesting just now. I don't know if you're aware of, but you were talking about the other companies and that they had made mistakes. And you said, and we will, and we will make mistakes, um, which I'm sure you will. But it implied that maybe you hadn't made any. Um, which I know cannot be the case. So are there any mistakes that you've made along the way? Maybe not necessarily connected to the B Corp piece, but that you feel that you've, you've learned from in this process? Yeah. In fact, I, I can talk about uh, a mistake in the, in the, as far as our impact. Um, when we first started the business, um, this is in 2014, you know, we we're a small team, six people. Uh, I brought together five other great uh, entrepreneurial minded people that I, that I felt I really needed to go build this brand. And together we kind of kicked it off. And um, to start, you know, the first year of the business, I led our impact strategy. I, I have, I had no business doing that. I mean, I, I know I'm passionate about nonprofits. Um, I'm passionate about that, that space, but I had no experience there. Um, but to start off, it was, I had so much passion around it. It just made sense for me to kind of run with it. And I, I identified a handful of nonprofit partners that I wanted to support. Um, one was an orphanage in Bolivia that I visited um, when I when I lived in Bolivia as a as a teenager. And uh, when I was when I was 19, I was actually a, I was a I was a missionary for uh, the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, which they call the Mormons. Uh, so I, I was living in, in this in this little community. Uh, it it took days to get there. Very very remote. Um, the orphanage has no telephone no internet. I mean, it's just very remote. And I just connected with this, this little community and with this little orphanage. And I'd gone back a number of times and I just felt like this is a place I want to help. Um, you know, we were supporting a, a handful of other really wonderful causes, but a year into the business, I hired a chief impact officer, someone that was really an expert uh, in giving. And uh, oh man, she destroyed me. I mean, she was like, wait, tell me how, tell me how you chose these partners. 
I had like, I had no idea why I chose them other than I was passionate about them. And she's like, oh, wait, now tell me about this orphanage in Bolivia. Like, uh, you know, how are you getting the money? And it was like, well, I, I, I'll handle, I've hand delivered cash. It was like, there's like, there's no, there's no other way. Like they don't even have like an email address. And she was like, so how do you know what they're doing with the money? And it's like, I have no idea. She's like, so have you measured like the impact that you've had? It's like, no, I like, I just didn't even have any idea. I didn't know what I was doing. So she really helped us fix and build this, a strong foundation of giving within our brand. But that first year I, I did the best I could, but I, you know, I made some mistakes and um, had to learn through those. And you know, the thing is though, that's okay. I think we need to be okay with making some mistakes along the way as entrepreneurs and especially as we're doing good. I mean, no, no one wants to make mistakes when they're doing good, but the reality is if we're not brave enough to, and have the courage to make some mistakes along the way, then we won't do anything. And we need people that, that do that, that are willing to, to take some of those leaps of faith and, and, and uh, you know, through some mistakes, we'll, we'll find out that we can make this world a little better. You know, it's interesting because when I asked you about the B Corp, the top priority for you, and it seems to be a consistent theme, is community. You mentioned that like being part of a B Corp community was extremely important to you. And then also, I, I'm just thinking about all the initiatives that you work up and you were working on in general, um, that your donation t-shirt. <laughs> um, so like that also focuses on community. I was even reading that LinkedIn post and people are still continuously saying, how can I support you? Where can I buy this shirt? Can you talk to us a little bit about community? How, how did you even start to build it? And what, what did that look like on your end? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a really nice question. Um, you know, community is, is everything to me. Um, you know, when I, when I decided to build the business, uh, I, I was, I was living in Brazil where I built my previous business and, um, I had to identify where I wanted to go build this new brand that was about giving back. And I identified Salt Lake city as the place I wanted to move to. Um, number one, the proximity to the outdoors is, is unparalleled. I, you know, I have, I live in the city, but I have, you know, four ski resorts within like 25 minutes of my house and I can walk outside my door and be on a trail biking or walking or hiking. So it's, it's a really amazing place to live. But more than that, it was a community of people that, that cared about helping others and giving back. And um, it's the most generous state in the country in terms of, uh, of money and time donated per capita. And so, um, so when, I, when I moved here and started this business, one of my goals was, was to be a good um, member of this community. And so we started looking for ways that we could give back and serve. Just, you know, our mission was really around alleviating global poverty, people that lived in um, some, of the, some of the most challenging circumstances anywhere in the world. Um, that's where we knew our dollar would go the furthest and where we could make the biggest impact. But, you know, being here, uh, we wanted to have, do some good here as well. So we started working with the refugee community and we started, um, you know, finding ways that we could use our voice to, 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 to raise money for some of the causes that we cared about, to support other people and other organizations. And I think what we found is that, like, the more we talked about others and the more that we helped others, um, and the less we really talked about ourselves, like that's really where we started becoming part of the fabric of our community here. And um, I think that's true in, in life as well, right? Individually, when, when it's all about us, then it's, it's a lot less interesting. But when we meet someone that just cares about us and that cares about other people around them, those are the people we really want to be with. And so I think the same is true with brands and businesses. It's, um, it's interesting to hear you speak so passionate 
passionately about the refugee community, uh, a, a community that I would assume has been hit particularly hard by the current circumstances with COVID, right? You know, like I, when this first thing, this whole thing started and people were complaining, I was like, imagine being a refugee in Syria, you know, um, as an example. Uh, imagine fleeing somewhere and, and not being within even a home or the luxury of having your own home. Are there any lessons that you've learned um, recently in how the refugee committee has been dealing with the COVID and what you've been able to assist with? Um, or maybe less about what you've learned, but what you're kind of seeing as an impact? Yeah, so uh, about about eight weeks ago, seven and a half weeks ago, I was, I was actually in Ecuador, uh, in Quito, and we were visiting some of our impact partners there, some of the nonprofits that we work with. And there's a, a huge number of Venezuelan refugees that have that have fled into Colombia and Ecuador and Peru. Um, the, the crisis in, in Venezuela is something that not enough people are talking about. It's, 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 there's now this year, there will be more people that, are, that will have fled Venezuela than, than fled Syria. Um, but the global community really um, rallied behind Syria in a beautiful way and contributed. Um, I, I'd not remember the exact dollar amounts, but I think it was like around $300 per Syrian refugee was donated by the global community. But in Venezuela, it's been like $25. Um, no one's talking about it. No one really knows about it. Um, these are people that are starving to death, literally, and uh, are dying because they can't get basic, very basic medicines. And so um, there were some refugees from Venezuela that had just arrived in Ecuador. And um, one of our nonprofit partners was telling us that one of the women in the in this company that had just arrived was showing all the symptoms of having um, of having COVID nineteen, but um, she had no idea what it even was. She'd never heard of COVID nineteen. She had no way of being tested, and um, you know these these people these these populations. You know, imagine being a Venezuelan refugee in Colombia, where you're living on the street with your with your family. Um, there's no home to go to. There's no Zoom call to dial into every day to continue to get paid. Um, you're going out every single day, um, either begging or trying to sell something on the streets to make enough money to feed your family for that day. And um, these are the populations that I am just worried sick about. Um, you know, it's, it's a tragedy what's happening in, in our country, um, the impact of this, uh, you know, of this virus, but it's those vulnerable populations that have no safety net. And, um, you know, we've, uh, we've dedicated uh, every resource that we can towards that. We just, uh, before this crisis happened here in the U.S., we'd committed to donating $100,000 towards supporting refugees in Venice, fleeing Venezuela. And uh, we've earmarked specifically that money to be helped as much as possible to, with COVID-19. And then in the last seven weeks since this crisis began, we started doing a number of initiatives that would allow us to continue to support those efforts. And so... Uh, we've raised an additional hundred thousand dollars, and this is despite like we, you know, we had we've had a deep impact on our business. This has not been a fun period of time for us. We've had to close our retail stores. We've, um, you know, we've we've our business has been meaningfully impacted. But again, like if if now is now is the time to stand for what we believe in uh, more than any other time. And so I'm really proud of the work that we've we've been able to do despite despite some of our own pain. Oh, it like warms my heart a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So is that uh, the main kind of focus? I'm just like thinking about all the things that you're working on. I mean, you partnered with um, the state of Utah to create masks, right? Um, are you going to be able to take any of that money to support uh, refugees or what does the infrastructure look like for that? Yeah, so we've been able to, uh, you know, you mentioned that we just, we just announced yesterday with the governor of, of Utah that um, Cotopaxi, we've shifted our manufacturing in, in one of our factories that makes our outerwear jackets um, to start making masks. And we're making a half million masks for the state of Utah for vulnerable and at-risk populations here in our state and where they can get a free mask. And so um, it was a, a public-private partnership with the state that we're really excited about. And, um, you know, we'll be, we'll be using remnant um, materials uh, for, those, for those masks. And, you know, this is one of the, the really kind of negative outcomes of this virus as well as like, there have been a lot of positive environmental outcomes, you know, cleaner air and cleaner water. But the reality is that there's been a lot of, uh, a, a tremendous amount of waste that's been created by a lot of brands that have gone to their factories and said, actually, I want to cancel all the orders we were planning on. We need to shrink this year. It's not going to be what we thought it was. All that material and all those fabrics that we dyed, all those patterns that we made, we don't need those anymore for this next season. We're going to cancel those. Well, all that material just goes into landfills. It just goes to waste. And so um, Cotopaxi, 40% of all of our product is made of remnant material. It's bags that we use. We, use, we make them, they're all one, these one-of-a-kind, really rad bags that the sewers are designing um, using remnant material from other outdoor brands that we all know of that use the, our same factory. We have these really cool jackets, same thing where we're using remnant material to make. Um, so with these masks, we decided to do the same thing. So we have these masks that are all being made of this, this remnant material. Um, so that's, uh, that's one of the initiatives that we're really excited about, but we're, you know, we're doing a number of things. Like we have, um, we have this, you mentioned this, this t-shirt design. We, you know, we're based here in Utah. We created this, this shirt with the hashtag one Utah. And it's this idea of being unified together in our community around this, around fighting this. And we've sold thousands and thousands of these shirts. We've donated hundred percent of those proceeds to support um, the COVID response here within our local community in Utah, especially with vulnerable populations. And so um, that's one of the initiatives, but you know, we're, we actually have quite a few initiatives that we're working on. Um, we have like a 24 hour adventure race that we call the Questival. Uh, it's really a really crazy fun event, but those events have all been canceled because you can't have these big gatherings, but we created a virtual Questival that we called the Questival Quarantine. And that was less last weekend. We had thousands of people register and million, like over a million, um, you know, challenges that were completed and these challenges all around, you know, fun little challenges around for this one around your home and yard and, um, you know, giving back and giving service to others. And so it was, uh, it was a it was fun and a way to kind of pull people around a cause, which is which is great. Challenges like um, the ones I would do with my college roommates, like uh, you've got to go out and steal a, a mat from a Taco Bell, or <laughs> or, 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 or challenges that were a little bit more um, uh, ethical than that. Yeah, maybe a little more ethical than that. <laughs> but I, you know, but definitely some fun and quirky challenges. I mean, it, it was uh, it was very entertaining weekend just watching how people were completing challenges. And our team is very creative. They they created some pretty hilarious challenges that they gave people. And uh, you know, I think one of my favorite challenges actually was a, a do good challenge. Though um, it was uh, so one of the kind of the origin stories of of Cotopaxi as a brand 
um, is uh, the story of, you know, when I was in college, I, I did an internship in, in Peru. And I, um, as part of that internship, I, uh, I was in this little city called Cusco, which uh, is near Machu Picchu. And I met a little street boy, a boy that shined shoes. He was nine years old. Uh, his name was Edgar. And um, I would, I'd find Edgar every single day and I'd bring him food. It was like the highlight of my day every day, finding this little boy and just such a, just a cute little guy. And um, my last night in Cusco, as I was walking back to my place, it was close to midnight. It was cold. You could see your breath in the air. Um, I, uh, I stumbled upon Edgar sleeping in the, in the streets and I woke him up and I asked him why he wasn't home. And he told me that someone had stolen his shoe shining kit and he was too afraid to go home because he was the one that helped support his family. And uh, I gave him the little bit of money that I had. I didn't have much. And that night I could hardly, I could hardly sleep. I was just so worried about him. And the next day I got on a bus to leave Cusco for the last time. And as we went around the main plaza, um, letting some people on and off the bus, I look out the window and I saw Edgar and he saw me and he just ran next to this bus waving goodbye to me. And uh, it was on that bus that I, I made a commitment to myself that I was gonna use my life to help people like that little boy, like Edgar. And um, after I started Cotopaxi 15, around 15 years later, um, I thought of Edgar, this little boy, every single day since then, since October 2001. And um, I decided I wanted to try to find him. I knew that was really an impossible task. I, I only knew his first name. I didn't know his last name. I, didn't, I knew he shined shoes and I knew he was nine years old in 2001. That's it. But I had one picture of him sitting on a shoe shining kit and I had a little short, like 13 second video of him running next to this bus waving goodbye to me. So armed with those things, I went into this plaza and I, in the main plaza in Cusco and I started showing it to people. And um, within 15 or 20 minutes, uh, someone in this big crowd of people that had gathered around me, you know, they were wondering why this tall, bald, you know, gringo is, is speaking Spanish and <laughs> showing this picture and um, someone recognized him. And, um, I ended up spending the entire next day with him and, um, it was, uh, just a beautiful experience to reconnect with this, this, this now, uh, this boy that had become a man. And, um, he was so excited to show me his, his home. He told me that he'd been orphaned, uh, just a few years after I met him and, um, his, uh, his mom had died giving birth to his younger sibling and his dad had died of, of alcohol abuse. And, um, so he was raising his younger siblings. We got to his, his house up in the hills and it was a house made of mud uh, with a hole in the ground for a toilet. And uh, it was pretty devastating to see. I was pretty, pretty distraught. At the same time, like I felt, I felt so proud of him because he was so proud of what he had and what he built for himself. And so he spent some of that day talking about what his dreams were and what he hoped he could do. And he talked about how he'd always dreamed of being a tour guide He'd learned some English, um, you know, every single day working with tourists in the streets. And uh, he knew Cusco better than anyone. You know, he'd grown up on the streets of Cusco. And so um, we found a program, a three-year program, where he's uh, been learning to be a tour guide. And, um, you know, I, I made a deal that I'd help pay for the program if he did well in school. So he sends me these pictures of his report card. And he does pretty well most of the time. And uh, um, he was going to be graduating this year. I was so excited to go back for the graduation, but with this crisis, that's all been shut down. And um, he sent me a note last week just saying how he was in a desperate situation um, with no tourists in the streets, 
he could no longer sell things. That's how he, that's how he made his living still until he could graduate from this program. And, um, I, uh, I went to bed that night after getting his message just sick. And, uh, I ended up waking up at five in the morning with an idea, which was an idea that we could have Edgar give a virtual walking tour of Cusco. And so uh, I thought, I have a lot of friends that I think would pay 10 bucks to pay <laughs> Edgar to give him a virtual walking tour. And so I posted it on social media. We ended up sharing it as part of the Questival as one of the challenges. And we ended up um, having over 500 people donate uh, to, to buy. I shouldn't even say donate. They're not donating anything. They're buying a ticket. They're buying his services. And so he's creating a small business. I'm helping him think through what it's going to be and opening up a bank account where this money can go in and he can just take a small salary every month and we can go build something that'll, you know, help him uh, for the rest of his life. I mean, it's honestly, he, you know, he just made three annual salaries in a few days. Um, this was life changing for him. When I told him he started crying. I mean, it was just, uh, he couldn't believe this many people that didn't even know him would be willing to help. And that's, what's so beautiful. It, it wasn't me. It wasn't one person. It was hundreds of people that contributed in a small way that, that changed someone's life over this last weekend. And that was my favorite challenge of, of the Questable. I love that. And, and I love the, the fact that you are um, essentially an outdoor company, allow, empowering people to experience the outdoors indoors. Mm. And uh, I think of so many business owners not just business owners, but people who are struggling during this time to kind of reinvent their message. And you've somehow cracked the code. I mean, are you doing that with your team also? Or is it just your your customers that you're doing that with? Um, no, I mean, this is, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, this is my team as well. Um, you know, my team is, uh, I think that's one thing that really unites us is, is the mission behind what we're doing. And um, you know, we have our team innovating constantly, thinking about how to make a difference in the community and the world. We have an amazing director of impact that helps us think through that and that drives us forward. And so, um, but I think, you know, the interesting thing about this model of this benefit corporation model and, and with Cotopaxi was my vision from the very beginning was that I needed a business to be able to have the impact that I wanted because alone I couldn't do it. I, I, I was not wealthy enough that I could have made it a difference in the world. I just didn't have that much money. Um, but I believe that through a business, I could, it's something that scales. It, I can sustainably do good every single year because the business can generate profits that allows me to do that. And not only that, but I believe that the business, if it was built right and if it had the right brand, it could inspire other people to go out and do good themselves. And it could inspire other businesses to find ways that their business could be a force for good in the world. And so that's been really my goal with this business. And uh, it's been really fun over the last six years to, to kind of watch some of that start to happen. It's yeah. Been six years. Yeah, we, we just turned six during, during this uh, COVID. <laughs> we, we didn't get to celebrate, but yeah, we just turned six a couple of weeks ago. It's been a wild, wild six year anniversary. I think you have another revenue stream for your business model. I would 100% pay $10 every day to go travel somewhere different. 100%. I wouldn't think twice about it. We're, we're working on something for you, Dahlia. We've, uh, you know, the, the, the cool thing about this, though, is like everyone wants to see Cusco. Of course, it's a cool place. But it's like it's Edgar's story that really makes this special. And that's, that's what we're working on is, um, you know, how do we tell people's stories? How do we connect you with someone there that's really 
that's that's unique and that uh, has a story to tell. It's like the people of New York. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so <laughs> you're telling us all these heartwarming stories. It like almost wants to. It almost like brings me to tears because how do you, how were you able to um, see these people living in poverty and then motivate yourself to come back and work on initiatives that you like in the whole scope of things, obviously they're very powerful, but in the interim, they might not always feel so impactful. Yeah. Um, you know, it can be, it can be discouraging. Um, I think that's part of the challenge of course, is, um, as you, and this is one of the, you know, the things behind our brand is like, we are a brand that wants to encourage people to, to go see the world, to, to explore, to adventure. And, um, it's not staying at a Ritz Carlton. It's, it's going to connecting with a community in some part of the world that you maybe normally wouldn't have gone to. It's connecting with a person and an individual and knowing their name and, you know, having your own Edgar, you know, discovering your own Edgar that inspires you every day to look beyond yourself. And, um, a few, a few years ago, um, as part of the global entrepreneurs council, um, I went to, to the Syrian border. I went to a refugee camp in Jordan called Zatari and the Zatari refugee camp, um, has almost a hundred thousand refugees. And, um, it's, it'd be very easy to go there and just feel very discouraged. Um, but when you go and you start looking for the beautiful things, you see all these amazing entrepreneurs that are creating, they have a street that they call the Champs-Élysées, not named after the, the famous shopping street in, in Paris. And they, um, there's 1400 small businesses, women that are, that are selling wedding dresses, um, men that are making uh, furniture out of scrap pieces of wood. I mean, they're creating businesses and they're creating value and they're contributing towards their communities. And you see that and it's just really beautiful. Um, I, I remember that at the end of my day there, I was on this little hill kind of overlooking the city and um, there were all these little kids kind of following me around and I obviously don't blend in very well um, in the Middle East or kind of anywhere really. Um, but, uh, you know, they were curious about me. And you know, Iceland. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Denmark. That's true. That is true. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, these, these kids, um, I, I couldn't really communicate. I don't speak Arabic and they didn't speak, um, they didn't, you know, they didn't speak English. So, um, but we could communicate to each other with our eyes and with our smiles. And pretty soon one of these little boys grabbed my hands and uh, flipped off his shoes and then walked up my legs and my body and did a little backflip. And um, I do this with my, I've done this with my little girls and um, pretty soon all the kids lined up and they all started doing this, walking up my body and doing these little flips. And every one of them was taking off their shoes, which I just thought was so respectful because my kids don't take off their shoes. Uh, but uh, pretty soon I had these dusty footprints all the way up and down my body. And, um, you know, for a few minutes, these children were able to forget that they were in a refugee camp. Uh, the average person is in a camp for 18 years. And so these children have likely been sentenced their entire childhoods to living in this camp. And um, that night I went back to my hotel and I had the news on as I was just getting ready for bed, just kind of in the background. And all of a sudden there was this news story that, um, that popped up and it was um, this tragic story of uh, in Aleppo where this, this little boy was pulled out of this rubble. Um, and um, this little boy named Amran was pulled out of this rubble, put in the back of this ambulance. He was you know, covered in dust and, and bleeding. And um, it just broke me inside seeing that and knowing that these children I'd just been with earlier that day came from Aleppo. But for me, it like, it hit home the urgency of the work that, that we all have to do. 
And it's a motivator for me. When I see that stuff, it's like, I've got to do something. And even if it's small, even if it's just like a drop in the bucket, I believe in the power of, of a single individual to make a difference in the life of somebody else. And so, um, yeah, I, it, but yeah, Dahlia, it is, it is hard and it's, it's easy to be discouraged. And, um, but then there's so many beautiful things in the world and so much kindness that it's, you know, I try to look to those things for inspiration. You've talked a lot about, and everything's connected, right? You know, poverty is connected to health and safety and whatnot. Um, uh, most of your work is obviously in the, in the refugee space, in the poverty space. Prior to COVID-19, had you been involved in anything in the health uh, space at all? Uh, and are you starting to think about has, has COVID-19 kind of got you thinking about health as a primary need in different ways? Yeah. Um, so we actually, our, our impact work is focused on three areas of, uh, within poverty alleviation. So it's healthcare, education, and livelihood training. And these are three pillars that we believe are inextricably linked to poverty alleviation. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, with, in the healthcare space, I mean, there's just, there's people, millions of people every year that are dying just from dirty water. And um, that is such a simple problem to solve, such an inexpensive thing to tackle. Um, you know, women that die giving birth, like Edgar's mom, for example, I don't know exactly her situation, but I can't imagine that if she was living in the United States or in Europe, that this would have happened, right? So, um, you know, these are some of the things that we're, that we're trying to tackle. Um, these are problems. These are big problems globally, but they're problems that don't take a massive amount of a massive amount of money to solve. And so, um, you know, I, I'm definitely not a global health expert. Um, you know, we haven't gone and created our own nonprofit that focuses on creating clean water, or creating these things. We identify great partners that are already doing this work, and we go support them financially. That's where we can. That's where we can be at our best. And um, you know, we. That's what, we're, that's what we're really looking to do is uh, support these amazing organizations that may not be the best fundraisers, but are great, ex you know, great executing the work that they do in the developing world. You seem so calm, cool, and collected when you speak. When everything happened, did you freak out a little bit? Were you concerned, nervous? What, what, was, what went through yeah. your mind? I was scared. Um, I think the first week uh, was really hard. Um, I think like a lot of us, it was just like, it was so fast and so dramatic that we just didn't even know how to respond immediately. A week into the crisis, I actually got an article from a close friend of mine. She's a CEO of another company. And it was this great article that talked about um, this person had interviewed 29 um, CEOs and uh, during, after the first week of the crisis and had analyzed, recorded their interviews, analyzed them and broken these CEOs into three different buckets. And one of them was the fear-focused CEO. These, these CEOs were using words like uh, government, Trump, uh, COVID, uh, coronavirus, like 11 times more than the other groups. Um, you know, they were talking about the words fear and, you know, really fear and, and, and like pessimistic, you know, words. Um, there was the unfocused CEO, which was a, a CEO that was just head in the sand, was just gonna wait and see what happened, hadn't made any changes in the business, actually used the word vacation six times more than anyone else. I don't know who could have been thinking about vacation. Uh, 
And then the last group was the strategy focused CEO. And this CEO was someone that was, um, they, they, had, they were like six times more likely to have made changes in their product or their strategy. They were using very positive words like opportunity and, and buy and invest. And um, when I read that article, I saw myself in the fear focus CEO. And I saw, some of my, I saw myself a little bit in the strategy focus CEO too. But it was, a, it was an awakening for me where it was like, I cannot be that person. And I will not be that person. And so I ended up sharing that article with my entire team at Cotopaxi. And we had an all hands meeting where we talked about it. And I challenged everyone to ask themselves, like, are you the fear focused or the strategy focused manager or associate or VP? And um, together we united around this idea of like, we are going to be strategy focused as a company. And we brainstormed like a hundred ideas on this Google spreadsheet where people thought of, of areas where we could cut costs, areas where we could build the brand or areas where we could drive revenue. And together we, re, we united, you know, we really kind of united around this idea. And once we started thinking that way, all those feelings that we had of fear um, largely went away. And that was, that was a beautiful moment, I think, for me and my own leadership. I, I definitely think I'm, I've been a, I've, I'm a better CEO today than I was eight weeks ago. And I'm grateful for that. It's, it's been hard, but I'm, I'm grateful for the chance to learn. When you think about like all of your efforts, do you feel like they were more successful? So the creation of um, the Giving Back T-shirt, the, uh, the, the mask initiative, uh, Questival, do you feel like they were so successful because they were all focused around giving back? Or do you think that if, um, if there were more elements towards profit, they might not have been as successful? I definitely think our giving is a big part of why our brand is relevant and why it exists. And you're right, like that, our, our t-shirt, we took, we didn't make a penny from it, not a dollar. And um, I think that's why people rallied around it. And at the same time, people that came on our website to buy that shirt, a lot of them bought other things. Almost, I think, I, don't, I didn't talk to them, but I think a lot of them were probably just, it's their way of saying thank you, right? And so we didn't do it because of that. We did it because we wanted to find a way to help. But um, I think in the end, um, you know, doing, doing good is good for business. Um, you can do well and do good at the same time. I've never believed that it's a trade-off where, you know, I had some investors early on that kind of acted as if it was a trade-off. Like, well, how can you, how can you build a sustainable business if you're going to be giving away all your profit? Because to date we've given away all of our profit and um, you know, but I really just didn't believe that it was a trade-off over the long term. I believe that we're, our business is going to be relevant and it's going to exist um, because of the mission, not in spite of it. I'm curious, you, um, you know, you're talking e-commerce. What has been the number one selling item uh, during COVID-19? Given that you're a gear company, yeah. what are people buying? You know, it's been, it's been wild for us because our number one selling product is this adventure travel bag called the Alpa. It is killer. It is awesome. Pablo, you'd love it. I mean, it's like, it, it is like made for the adventure. Like, I know you love the outdoors stuff. Like, dude, you, you kill for this bag. I mean, it's just like such a great travel bag. No one's traveling. No one's going anywhere. No one's adventuring anywhere. So it's like, uh, you know, our business changed, you know, we, we overnight, you know, that, that best-selling product for the last three years is no longer selling. And so, you know, we've kind of shifted towards, uh, we have, uh, our, I'd say our number two set of, of SKUs is this, is this, 
collection of bags called the Del Dia bags. It's the ones that I mentioned before that are made of remnant material. We went to the sewers and we said, you guys never get to create anything, like design anything. Like you're the talent, you're the artisans, you're the craftsmen behind all the bags, but you don't get to design anything. And that's just not right. Like, why don't you guys design the bags? The only rule we have is to make no bag alike. And so every one of these bags is one of a kind. They're unique, they're funky, they're really fun, and they're really lightweight. And so they're like a great bag for going to the gym or for going on a little hike or, or even just rolling up and throwing in your travel bag. So that bag, that's, that collection of bags has ended up being, you know, there's like a fanny pack, there's a bunch of different day bags and duffel bags. And those have just been uh, doing really, really well. The price point's lower. They're all like under $100. You know, a lot of them are, you know, $50 or $60. And um, so people, they're more affordable and people can go on hikes with them. They can go out, outdoors with them, you know. So it, it ended up being uh, a product that's really kind of saved us uh, where our, our main products have kind of uh, st slowed down in a major way. It's amazing because a lot of people that I'm seeing in most of my social feeds, like especially on Facebook, all they're doing is going on hikes lately. It is crazy. Yeah. You go outside and it's like you go on a hike or you go up, you know, if you go up to a lake or go on a river or on a trail, it's like packed with people. I've never seen it so busy. So, but so yeah. You know, At least it works in your favor, right? <laughs> Yeah, you know, we, we, there's definitely certain products we sell that are going to be hurt by not being able to travel, but other products that we sell that are going to be, that are likely going to do quite well as people spend more time in the outdoors, you know, a lot of our outdoor focused product. And so, you know, we're trying to shift this summer in like a little bit of our messaging and branding around road tripping and spending time in the outdoors, um, which has always been a big element of our brand, but we're a little less focused on the international travel piece. Yeah. Do you think that you're going to see a big shift in your business over the next coming months? Um, yeah. I mean, we, we are already seeing as far as like um, our business strategy, it's, it's changed quite a bit because our, we have retail, we have a few retail stores. Those are closed. Uh, we have a wholesale part of the business where we sell to REI and hundreds of other outdoor retailers. Those are all closed. And so, you know, we're, we're more of an online business now, kind of the way we were when we started. And so it's kind of going back to our roots and, it's always been, been our biggest part of the business, e-commerce. And so that's, that's for, we feel fortunate because so many of our other peers and friends in the outdoor industry have been impacted in a bigger way with all the retail stores closed. And um, so, yeah, we definitely see that that's going to evolve and change our business, uh, definitely in the short term and, and maybe even in the medium and long term, um, you know, this, this focus on, on digital and on e-commerce. You know, I am... I, I'm, I'm hearing you speak and you have such an uplifting message um, and it's novel to me, right? Because um, uh, this is the little time that I get to spend with you, but I'm sure that you're this constant source of inspiration for your team and the people that work for you. But who's, who's filling you back up? Who's giving you inspiration? Who's, who's giving you, you know, um, that same inspiration where do you go what's your source obviously a good hike is always a great source yeah. of inspiration i come back with some of my best ideas when i've just gone for a little walk or a hike but uh, i'd love to know given that the theme of this podcast is motivated you're obviously highly motivated we'd love to know how you keep your um your your amount of motivation as high as it is because it's just overflowing my friend thank you that's really nice um uh, I'd say I'm motivated by, uh, there's a handful of people that come to mind. Um, I've, I've already told Edgar's story. I, I cannot 
express to you how meaningful it has been this last week to be able to, to contribute in this way that's helped him. I'd say that's lifted my spirits more than anything I've done in probably years. And so that has been a constant motivation for me, this desire to, to look for ways to, to help him um, lift himself. Like, this isn't about me giving to him, right? It's like, it's giving, helping him get the tools that he needs to be able to do this for himself and to help others around him. And I'm just so inspired by him. Um, I also think of my, my co-founder at Cotopaxi, um, his name is Stefan Jacob, and um, he is just a humble, uh, brilliant leader. And we met in business school. Um, he uh, is from Germany and he, he stayed in the US when we graduated and, and built a business here in the US. He was a CEO of a venture-backed business. And that's when I was in Brazil building my own business. And then I came back to start building Cotopaxi. And a few months in, I, uh, into this concept, I, I ran into him and we were just kind of catching up. We were very close friends in school. And um, he immediately told me, I, I want to join. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be your COO. And he didn't need any credit. He's not the face of the brand. And um, he's very capable. He could easily be the CEO of this business. And um, he has just been the perfect partner. Uh, we've worked together for you know, six and a half years. We've never had an argument. Um, he's just someone that uplifts me. If I have challenging day, he's someone I know I can call and he's going to know the right things to say and to listen. And um, he's someone that I'm just so grateful for. And then I'd say, you know, my family, I have just a, an amazing wife that's always been my greatest supporter and believer and been willing to pick up and, and start new companies and move to another country and learn new languages. And um, she's just a wonderful mother to our children. And um, just, she's the kindest person I've ever met. She just always thinks about others before herself. And she just, she makes me a better person. So those are kind of the three people that I'd, I'd list today. You might be one of the luckiest people I've ever met. You have the perfect co-founder, the perfect <laughs> wife, the perfect family. <laughs> okay, I mean, the kind stamp, it's like getting like an official seal of approval. It's better than having that B in a circle. If you get the D in a circle from, from Davis, you really are kind. <laughs> I've, you know, I, to be fair, like I, I've had some heartbreak along the way. I've had hard things happen for sure, just like everyone else. Um, but yeah, I, I do feel very lucky. I, 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 know I, I know I don't deserve it. You know, if this, that's one thing I learned as a, as a little kid. Um, my family moved to Latin America when I was four. And um, so my first memories are there. And, but I do remember seeing um, children that were my age, um, three or four years old that were completely naked on the sides of the street. And uh, even at that age, I, I started recognizing how lucky I was. Um, I didn't do anything to deserve that. And uh, you know, but what I saw was that um, I had a different life only because of where I was born. And I needed to figure out a way to lift those, those other people in some way. And so, um, so yeah, I recognize, I do recognize how privileged and, and lucky I've been. And um, because of that, I, I definitely feel a duty and a responsibility to, to do more. We just received a lovely note from Mia. I was in Jamaica and my husband and I wore the do good and a woman that was living in the hut in a hut on the beach stopped them and said, do good and good will find you. She really loved that. Hearing more about your business and mindset is songs to her ears and her heart. Thank you. Oh, I love that. That's really nice. Uh, That's really lovely. Thank you, Mia. Yeah, Mia, thank you. That's I love that you 
have our do good shirt. That's one of my favorites. And I will say when you wear that shirt, you just better be, uh, you just plan on being stopped by people because they're going to stop you and they're going to, they're going to want to say something to you about it. It's, it's a fun shirt to have. And uh, Jamaica is a beautiful country. Uh, that's, that's a, that's, that's a fun story. Thank you for sharing Mia. Um, so we're about to, to wrap up on time, but want to make sure that, well, Doug, you're usually good at teeing up the Alexa flash briefs piece. So I'll actually uh, let, let you do that. Yeah, so we just got great news that our Alexa flash briefing has been officially approved. So really exciting. Um, so uh, we talked about this briefly, but essentially we're going to do like a headline. So we want to do these quick like flash briefings of um, either what keeps you motivated or any advice to keep others motivated. Um, yeah, this is, uh, th by the way, congratulations. Uh, for me, what I've always found is the most motivating thing is helping others. Um, whenever I've turned my life, even when I'm going through the hardest times, when I turn it around and I focus on lifting others around me, that's when I feel the most motivated and the most happy. And so um, for anyone that's like feeling like I need a little bit of motivation, when you identify your, you know, your Edgar, uh, when you identify the, the person or the people or the group or the community, that needs you and that you can contribute to make a difference in, that's when I think you're gonna find the highest degree of motivation. That was lovely. And what about something that keeps you motivated? Um, I think things that keep me motivated, uh, aside from, from that, this kind of impact work, I think travel. I love travel, I miss travel. I, uh, I miss being able to go on an adventure someplace. Uh, you know, I mentioned before this call, I like doing these little survival trips. I, uh, once or twice a year I'll go, I'll bring no food and I'll, I'll just go be on a little island or something and I'll spearfish and, you know, eat coconuts to survive. Like for some reason that connect, that connecting with nature or connecting with a community or a culture, those kind of things really give me a lot of motivation and joy. So that's, that's, uh, that's probably what it is for me. That's impressive. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> um, and then one last one just for kickers, because I think we could do a couple of them uh, during the course when your podcast is aired. What about um, motivation to keep your team motivated? You know, so one of my favorite quotes is a quote by a man named Dieter Uchtdorf. And he says, the desire to create is one of the deepest yearnings of the human soul. And I love this quote because I know it's true. Um, every one of us has a desire to create. And it might be to create a podcast. It might be to create music or art or cooking. Or it might be to create a, a business. But like this desire to create, it's inside all of us. And so um, when I give the opportunity to my, to my team to be part of the creation process, that is magical. Um, and it could be like in the very beginning stages of the company where there were just six of us, where like they are part of creating this with me, to like once, once the business is created and it's established, allowing them to be part of the creative process. Like in this last few weeks, that example of, of challenging the team to help us innovate in these three different areas. Um, we also will hold innovation tournaments within our company where we identify a problem that we want to solve and we'll divide the whole team into small teams. And over an hour, everyone has to brainstorm ideas and they go pitch them to the rest of the team. And we slowly take hundreds of ideas and filter them down to like our top three. Those kind of processes that allow people to create and build uh, are very motivating. And so that's what I, that's what I think really works in a, in a team dynamic. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm feeling so good and so positive right now. This is like, I need a Davis, like five o'clock every single day because my, 
my optimism about the world and the entire situation is better than it's been in weeks. So thank you for that gift. Well, no, I agree. I agree, except can we switch it to 9 a.m.? Because that's how I want to start my day. <laughs> that's nice. Well, come out to Salt Lake City. I'd love to hang out. We, uh, it's a great place to, in the winter to go ski or in the summer to go check out the mountains. Tell you what, I'm a Delta guy, and I was in a job where I was flying um, hundreds of thousands of miles every year, and I would often connect in Salt Lake City. And when you're in that, when you're in that um, airport, you look out and you see the beauty, the majesty is I think the right word of mother nature. And there were so many times I was going to speak at a big conference or I had some meeting and I'm gonna walk out the airport and I'm not gonna, <laughs> and I'm just gonna go visit the mountains or just yeah. enjoy the great outdoors because it looks too beautiful out there. It's amazing. And from the airport, it's like 20, in 25 minutes, you can be in the mountains. I mean, it's a really, it's a special place. I've, I've sure loved living here over the last six years and would welcome anyone that wants to come out to Utah, come visit us, come stop by our, one of our retail stores, downtown Salt Lake. Our office is connected. So if you do come tell them that you want to say hi to me and I'll, I'd love to come down and say hi to anyone that comes by. So we're going to have to make that happen. <laughs> okay. Amazing. Davis, thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate it. And thank you all for joining us. This has been a fantastic conversation. Awesome. Well, Dahlia and Pablo, thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to The Motivated Podcast and also stay tuned on LinkedIn and Instagram for some behind the scenes and extra updates.